we also need to look at like who are the populations that have been ignored or left out of the conversation. We have to shed light on and understand the specific issues. You know, if we're not measuring it, we're not (laughs) managing it, right? And that goes with everything, like looking at that, looking at the data and is the way that we're measuring things or measuring quality or like, you know, paying for care as our delivery system reform, like is that incorporating equity goals? Or, you know, is it making things worse? I mean, we just have to look at everything with, I think, a very critical eye. Welcome to the In On Health podcast. I'm your host, Kapama Yalpala. I go by KP and I'm the CEO and co-founder of In On Health. In today's episode, we speak with Sarah Dash, the president and CEO of the Alliance for Health Policy. In our conversation, we speak about some of the most important issues related to healthcare reform in our country to improve people's access to health services and their overall health and wellness. We also discuss how health equity is increasingly becoming infused into not just the policy conversation, but the new policies and regulations to make healthcare more inclusive in our country. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Hello, everyone. Today on the In On Health podcast, we have Sarah Dash, the president and CEO of the Alliance for Health Policy. She's a good friend and someone I've known over the years, and I'm very happy to have her on with us today. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Thank you, KP. It's an honor to be on here. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to having a conversation today talking about a bit of your background and also the work you're doing at the Alliance for Health Policy and as an extension of that, how you're thinking about health equity. But before we get into all of that, can you tell our listeners a bit about your background, just like who you are? Where did you grow up? What influenced you in terms of your career choices and how you ended up working in healthcare policy? Absolutely. Thank you. And it's a, I think for a lot of people, it's a long and convoluted story, right? So, uh, so I grew up in New Jersey in the suburbs, but I was actually born in France. Um, My, my dad was doing research there and got to spend the first uh, seven years of my life there in a very beautiful place. And then I moved to New Jersey, was uh, living there, you know, just kind of suburban kid. And I also grew up kind of in the ballet studio, like in the dance studio. That was that was uh, the the sort of love of my life, you know. Oh wow! Yeah, and and but my health policy story really, in some ways, really starts there because I grew up with this really strong sense of of like dance and the physicality of dance as this expression, this full expression of you know sort of human potential. And then at the same time, I had this sort of fascination with like the inner workings of the body and how it worked. You know, as a teenager, I was reading this biography, which I recently uncovered, um, again, as I've been going through some of my, my childhood stuff. And it was a biography of someone who frankly should still be with us today. Mm-hmm. And his name was Edward Sterl and, and his biography is called A Dance Against Time. And I remember reading this and, you know, Edward Sterl was a a dancer. He was a charismatic, like he was a star. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. He was a star. And he died of AIDS at the age of 23. Like this notion of this person, of this life cut short, of this unbelievable, like human potential cut short, I think is something that stayed with me. Right. And so that led you to, towards more of a public health pathway than someone who had maybe been thinking about medical school while you were in college. 
So tell me, like, um, healthcare, there's so many different areas of, of public health, and you clearly got into the world of public health policy, broader healthcare policy in the U.S., and you ended up working on the Hill, I'm doing a wide range of things. So maybe you can kind of take us through that part of your journey of... I say I landed there at an incredibly, very um, auspicious time, I guess you could say. So for me um, in my career, and I was fortunate to first work uh, on the House side uh, for Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro and... um, and then actually how I got my Senate job was related to, to that in a way. Um, so I worked on a lot of issues, but that was right in the lead up to the ACA mm-hmm. um, being debated and, and eventually passed. The Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare, right, to many. Um, and and so I was, I was this like staffer. So the very first bill I worked on was this... Um, Breast Cancer Patient Protection Act, which was like a legacy bill of the Congresswoman's, and it had been something she'd introduced year after year after year. Finally, the committee chairman decided he wanted to move on the bill. So one of my first meetings, one of like within the first month or so, it was like, okay, it was in, in three committees because right. <laughs> it affected three. Um, so what was the purpose of that breast cancer bill? The purpose of that bill was around this this issue of what had been called like drive-through mastectomies, okay. right? Like this idea that women were having a mastectomy and then being like almost kicked out of the hospital. So it was attempting to create a patient protection, okay. right? And but it's but it's indicative of the way that in some ways like a lot of health policy was sort of done like pre ACA in the sense of like let's mandate this, let's mandate mm-hmm. that, you know, let's um, kind of pick, not pick and choose, but sort of what rises to the top in terms of different mandates. And there was a patchwork of mandates across the states. And then of course, in the Affordable Care Act, that turned into what's called the essential health benefits, um, which, okay. you know, this idea that at least all insurance should cover some core set of things. Like you shouldn't leave out prescription drug coverage or maternity care or behavioral health care. So the other really exciting thing I got to work on, I had the opportunity to um, to work with the congresswoman on something called the um, Informed Consumer Choices and Healthcare Act. And I had gone to a briefing where one of the panelists, who's a very, very knowledgeable on private health insurance um, woman by the name of Karen Pollitt at Kaiser Family Foundation was talking about, you know, we should have like a nutrition label for health insurance. Like everyone should know what is in their plan. And we should be able to compare between plans. Anyway, so we worked on this basically kind of nutrition label idea. Um, And then uh, we worked with Senator Rockefeller's office in West Virginia, and he introduced it. And it ended up becoming part of the final package of the ACA. And I I have to say, I'm proud that um, when the Kaiser Family Foundation um, did their tracking for a very long time of like different provisions that were popular or unpopular um, as part of the ACA, like the pre-existing conditions, protections was, was, that was number one. But for a while there, the, the sort of like nutrition label, um, uh, what, what became known as coverage facts, um, was, was number two. And, and it took a lot of hard work to get there because look, health policy has trade-offs, right? And I think that's, that's something we have to like always recognize when we talk about choices in our national discourse and choices, it's like almost become like an American value of like, you know, we don't want one size fits all healthcare. We want people right. to have choices. Choices are, choices are great, but you have to like help people 
pick and choose because this isn't this is not the same this is not like choosing like your next pair of shoes this is choosing something that could deeply affect your family's you know health and financial well-being exactly and as we know I'm in the U.S., and this has come up in other conversations we've had. Healthcare costs is one of the leading causes of bankruptcy in our country, right? So, I mean, I think that uh, this issue of health insurance and and also making sure that everybody has some type of cover and doesn't go into bankruptcy and on and on the street because of a health issue is uh, is a big one. Um, so that that's thank you for sharing that because I think it's um some really important context for the work you do today. Um, so now as president and CEO of the Alliance for Health Policy, um, before we start to talk about health equity and those policy issues, can you first lay out like what the alliance is and 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 what it does? Absolutely. So the Alliance for Health Policy is a nonpartisan nonprofit, and we're based here in D.C. And our job is really to advance knowledge and education of health policy issues. We work primarily with uh, what I call the sort of policymaking community. Okay. So we work a lot with congressional staff, bipartisan, you know, congressional staff, with members of Congress, with uh, the press, you know, with staff, uh, people in the executive branch. And again, like both sides of the aisle. And the whole idea is, is really to create a forum for education and dialogue um, and solution-focused dialogue, mm-hmm. like not just talking for the sake of talking, but talking, you know, getting the different ideas out there and talking about the pros and cons and and creating a forum where we can do that with civility and, and dignity and respect. Um you know, that is, that is really something we take very, very seriously. So, uh, so we cover any number of different policy issues. Okay. Health equity is certainly one we're, we're, we're covering and we, we consider health equity as part and parcel of every single topic we cover. So it really shouldn't be a standalone kind of thing. It should be part of everything we do. Um, and you know, digital digital um, health is is one of those as like you and I have talked about. But you know, we cover everything from you know Medicare Advantage, what is it, how does it work, to you know what are different proposals on the table for um, you know Medicaid. Of course, last year during COVID, we we switched from our usual venue, which is usually on Capitol Hill um, in person, to an all virtual venue, and we did um, a COVID rapid response webinar series where we really covered everything from you know I, our first webinar was like five we had five thousand cases in the U.S. and. Right. Um, we covered everything from the epidemiology to the impact on health systems and supply chains and, you know, the vaccine development. Um, so anyone who's interested can check us out at allhealthpolicy.org and all of our, all of our events are, uh, free and, um, we, you know, we take that access and approachability to our content very seriously as well. That's amazing. And so a couple more questions on this before we transition, tell me like an example of something where you felt like there was really good bipartisan engagement recently. Um, can you yeah. talk to me about like some topics or just in your time at the Alliance for Health Policy where you feel like you got really good bipartisan engagement on, a, on an issue? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll share one um, because this was so – this one really stood out. Um, and this was the issue of maternal mortality Mm. And and maternal health, and that's of course a huge health equity issue as well. And 
you know, we hosted a breakfast for members of Congress and, you know, both sides of the aisle, both sides of the Capitol, which okay. by the way, if you think both sides of the aisle is bad, sometimes try like asking the house what they think of the Senate and vice versa. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so having like a bipartisan bicameral meeting, um, and with an OBGYN and a, um, midwife who is an incredible, um, you know, both, both of whom just, you know, incredibly, um, well, well versed in, in their, in their fields and the black maternal, maternal health caucus. And we had, you know, we had Republicans there, Democrats, house and Senate, and they were, asking, you know, they were asking good questions. And some of them were asking kind of basic questions of like, well, how do you define a maternal death? And like, well, what about this scenario and that scenario? And so, you know, that was what we do at our best, right? It was like bringing people together, having the conversation, getting the questions answered. And I assume this is a closed door, confidential context so people can feel comfortable. Yeah. And engaging. Exactly. And that's encouraging to at least see, you know, there are some spaces where we're getting some good bipartisan engagement and that also align to health equity. So let me ask you, as the Alliance um, for Health Policy, how do you think about health equity? And you've talked about it as a cross-cutting issue and how you're thinking about and working on the issue. So how do you define health equity as the Alliance? And how are you starting to infuse that more deeply into um, your work and priorities? Yeah, thank you. Such a great question. Well, your first question about how we define health equity uh, is actually a great one because we don't have a, you know, alliance approved definition of health equity because number one, we recognize that what, what ends up happening in health policy and of course across our discourse in general, but like we run into these words and then they become buzzwords. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, first it was like health disparities. Then it was social determinants of health. Like now it's, you know, okay, now we're talking about health equity, but what do different people mean by health equity? So right. part of our definition of health equity is like literally getting people together in a room to say, well, what is your definition of health equity? And what does that right. really mean? And how does that play out? Because, you know, whether we're talking about value and value-based care or, um, innovation. That's another like favorite word. There's a lot of words that just get thrown around mm -hmm. and they just become like part of the fabric of our conversation. But then we don't really think about, we don't, and not to say we don't think about them anymore, but we have to think critically and not just be saying the words, but be thinking about what they mean and not just thinking about what they mean to us, but thinking about what they mean to other people, because that's the way that the dialogue is going to be able to move forward. Right, right. That's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I think um, you've brought up an important point, which is we in the U.S. do not yet have a, <laughs> a consistent, unanimous agreed upon definition of health equity. I think we're in a process of trying to align on what that means. You know, if you think about it in a policy domain, and so for example, like if we think about things that we've already known for decades around racial disparities in health, the discourse around social determinants of health, policymakers maybe start to think, well, what does that mean in terms of reimbursement, mm -hmm. right? And you know, bottom line is, you know, one of my colleagues says, just follow the money, right? If reimbursement doesn't care about equity, then no one cares about equity. And I mean, it's 
brutally honest, but I mean, I think a lot of people actually think about it that way that it's like, so how are we going to see real change? Because these issues of equity aren't abstractions. Like people are dying, people are suffering. Um, and it's, so it's not just like an abstraction, like this is like real life. And so how do you connect like, okay, we're having all this conversation with this new kind of terminology, but it really gets to the heart of social and racial injustice in our country and how that's playing out in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, from a policy discourse um, element or area, uh, that's a tough one. I mean, I think, you know, different people are talking about it in different ways, but um, I think that um, a lot of people may not feel or they may be waiting to see what actually happens in terms of real change mm -hmm. in people's lives. But for me, being a half a glass full person, I do think that we are going to see some shifts in some of our systems, some better tracking of data. But this definition issue is an interesting one because if we if we're not aligning on definitions, um, then it's hard to move when you think about actual policy and dollars. So thinking about that, like, what do you think actually, if you're, you know, you work with policymakers day in, day out, what do you see happening, let's say, in the next year or two concretely around anything that's going to have a measurable impact in people's lives around equity? We've talked about maternal mortality. Mm -hmm. Looks like there's some movement there. Is there anything else where you feel like, we can see some real change. Yeah, definitely. And and one one quick point I want to make before, uh, and it, this is not a quick point. Um, but it's one that I want to point out. I guess I should say um, okay. before I talk about specific policy issues, which is I think sometimes even the way we talk about these issues can have. Right. I mean, and it's like no secret, right? Because people are yelling at each other on Twitter all the time, but it can have these ramifications of like who even comes into the room. But like then to your point, what does that actually mean in terms of translating to health outcomes, um, people's life outcomes? Um, and then the the resources that need to be infused to, to like get us there, right? Because um, not everyone's going to end up the same, the same, right. um, you know, even under the best of circumstances. So like, what does that mean? But to your question about bipartisan opportunities, you know, the first point I want to make is I think there's more bipartisan opportunity than we give ourselves than than we maybe or maybe would be apparent from the national the way that the sort of national conversation is okay. going in general um, around race. But we have to talk to each other. And so there are things like so maternal maternal mortality, maternal health clearly is one of them. I do think the data issues and the data questions are are questions that could be could be worked on you know, more discreet or maybe narrower, but very important topics around things like diversity in, cl in clinical trials, mm -hmm. which came up during, during, and has come up during the past year. Cause you know, that's right. Like that's one factor in sort of, okay, where well, we're going to trust this vaccine. Like, well, was it, you know, how, <laughs> um, like what populations sort of, um, factored into the clinical trials. So I think that's, that's an area that, you know, could potentially, um, could potentially factor in. And then I think there's some other areas that are bipartisan that really touch on health equity in important ways where I think we need to infuse the, the equity conversation. So things like, you know, I think there is a bipartisan recognition around mental health and behavioral health mm -hmm. being 
a huge topic that it was already a huge topic, like pre-COVID and opioids was another, was a big topic that, um, frankly, I mean, I was working on that on the Hill and there was bipartisan interest in it then. And unfortunately we haven't made a ton of progress in terms of like outcomes in this country. Um, but mental health and the mental health crisis, the, the children and adolescents who are in crisis and the compounding of the issues for, um, you know, people of color, um, are it's, you know, it's huge. So, so I think that's an area where we could hopefully see, um, some conversation and some progress. Okay. That's great. So, I mean, I think that's really good for our listeners because sometimes I think as we talked about earlier, just there's a feeling that nothing really gets done right (laughs) when it comes to Congress Mm -hmm. right now. So I think you've laid out three areas I think are really interesting. So maternal mortality, bipartisan support there. It looks like we might do something that's actually going to really impact people. Um, you've talked about behavioral health. I think we're seeing that all over the country, and it's become a huge challenge, even more so with the pandemic. Um, and then the op- opioid issue. I think those are three big ones. Talk to me about, and I know that the Alliance for Health Policy has done a bit of work looking at rural health and looking at that element of health equity. Tell me a bit about how you see, because it does seem like there's some bipartisan interest there, particularly around rural broadband access, telehealth, um, tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and you raise a great point. And in fact, I should say, you know, we are going to be launching a, 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 a summit and a series specifically on health equity this summer, fall, um, you know, um, into the rest of the year, um, because we do have to shine a specific light. And I think it's important to understand, like, of course, we have to acknowledge like the racial inequities that are here and because of our history of systemic racism and you know, kind of continuing into the present day, the challenges there, right? But there is also, there are other kinds of inequities, right? And so to your point around rural rural access, yes, I think rural broadband, um, important issue, telehealth, tons of bipartisan interest there, less agreement perhaps around like how to pay for, you know, perhaps some of the, um, uh, you know, expansions around, around telehealth. Um, and those sorts of things. But yeah, I mean, we also need to look at like, who are the populations that have been ignored or left out of the conversation, you know, as well. I mean, like the, the, um, the indigenous people who were just, you know, some of whom just like absolutely decimated during COVID awful, awful situation, right? Like we have to shed light on and understand the specific issues. You know, we talked a a little bit earlier around like the LGBTQ like population also, you know, also experiences like major challenges, accessing care, like huge inequities, Mm -hmm. you know, if we're not measuring it, we're not (laughs) managing it. Right. Right. And that goes with everything. So I think, um, like looking at that, looking at the data and is the way that we're measuring things or measuring quality, um, or like, you know, paying for care as our delivery system reform, like, is that incorporating, Mm -hmm. is that incorporating equity goals, or, you know, is it making things worse? I mean, we just have to look at everything with, a, I think, a very critical eye. Yeah, no, no. Thanks so much for that. And before we close that, I want to ask you this question. Are there any states when you're looking at policy that you think are innovating with regards to health equity or um, some of these issues that we're talking about? I mean, we've been talking a bit more at a national policymaking mm-hmm 
kind of level. But I'm just curious if any states come to mind or things that you've seen that sound uh, like they're, they're progressive or they're interesting in terms of uh, the needs that we have around equity. That's a great question. I will say I don't track exactly what's happening in the states as closely, but mm-hmm. I think we have to look at states are called, you know, they're sort of like laboratories of innovation. Um, and I think that, you know, they do have an incredibly important role just structurally as part of our healthcare system. Medicaid plays an incredibly huge role. I mean, look, you want to talk about equity, (laughs) look at the Medicaid expansion issue, right? Mm -hmm. Um, now I should say, you know, the Alliance is, is we, we're not, we're not advocates. We don't advocate for for a particular policy solution, but the fact remains that there are states that still haven't expanded Medicaid, and that's that is a state decision, state by state decision, within the Medicaid program, within state health employee programs. There's a lot that states can do uh, within their, you know, the the funding that they control around around public health. Um, you know, for example, there's a lot that they can do. At the same time, I think it's important not to like overburden the, um, states as a laboratory sort of idea Mm -hmm. because states can only do so much. I mean, like pre national sort of federal health reform, there was, you know, even more state innovation around like coverage and access and and stuff like that. But like without, without the federal dollars or federal framework, it's, you know, then you're looking at state dollars. And so there's, there is a, a tension there and a tension, not attention as in like the way I'm paying attention right now, you know, <laughs> there's, there's, there's trade-offs, there's trade-offs and tensions with everything. And I think that's one of the fundamental, like, well, it's one of the things that'll keep health policy folks employed for a really long time, but it's also one of the challenges, right? It's like, there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen when it comes to health policy and that's in, in America and that's pretty much always going to be that way, I think. So there's so many different levels of action or inaction that need to be paid attention to. Right. I mean, as I, as I hear you speak and I, and I think about health policy generally, it's, um, you know, I think a common thread and everything you've been talking about is, you know, really what are the values of our society, right? And in this, you know, American experiment, that is the inherent tension is what are our values as a society and frankly, that's healthy. It's healthy to have a bit of tension there because if it's if it's constructive, it leads us to better, more inclusive policy. And I think what if it's destructive, um, which I think a lot of us see sometimes in Congress, and we're we're frustrated with our leaders. If it's destructive, then it does nothing to improve people's lives. And ultimately, that government's there to support us and improve our lives and create opportunity for everybody. I mean, that's really a key function of government. So if it can't do that, if it can't assure the health and well-being of its population, I mean, the population is going to take the government to account, which is, you know, it's just it's a fascinating um, dynamic in terms of the, the values of our society and also the history of slavery and of racial oppression, racial discrimination, which is inherently inside of the DNA of the country. And, and how we grapple with that and what that means in terms of disparities we see today. But um, I think that you've covered a lot of important points and uh, I appreciate your openness um, sharing this and also that we got to learn some, some bipartisan opportunities for real change. I don't think people hear about that enough. Yeah. 
Thank you. And I, I know, I know we're, we're coming to the end of our time, but I, I want to underscore, I think what you said about values and, and just looking at this inherent like structure in our system, you know, we did a, we did a, um, a series earlier this year on health and the economy. And I think given the history of racial, you know, just like racism and discrimination, given the racial wealth gap, given the fact that our healthcare system is in large part, oftentimes based on like employment and income and things like that, you know, those are things that, that exist and that are realities. And the thing that you said about values, I think is incredibly important because the thing I grew up with, in addition to this idea of like human potential, right. It's like, and this was, this came from my church, right. But this was this idea of the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Mm -hmm. And they even used the word covenant, and this idea of a covenant, and I was thinking, like, is there an American covenant? Like, we don't have agreement on basic values. But, like, the closest thing I could think of was the Pledge of Allegiance, where we all, you know, used to stand up there in elementary school and say it. And it's, like, with liberty and justice for all. And I feel like we could have this whole other podcast because I was thinking about, like, liberty and justice sometimes are in alignment and then they're sometimes in, in tension with one another. And you look at the, sort of the mask mandate conversation that happened um, or even the vaccine, like one person's idea of justice is maybe another person's idea of like, you're taking away my freedom mm-hmm. <laughs> or vice versa. So right. like, where are they lined aligned and where are they not? And I don't know that we even have, we don't even have opportunities to talk about it, you know? Um, in the way that we pretty should. Right. And the other layer of that is economic inequality in our society, right? And the intersection yep. of economic inequality and place and race, right? So there are plenty of rural white people who are suffering and who see the stark economic inequality in our country. Um, and at the same time, you have the intersection of economic inequality and racism and racial injustice in our society. And both issues are there. And I think our country is having a hard time having those conversations. Um, but but I mm-hmm. think that other layer of econo- economic inequality and the intersections with racial inequality and racism in our society is just, it's the heart of the matter. Um, and if we can't have conversations about these issues, we're not gonna move anywhere. Um, so I really appreciate you uh, being open um, and candid with this. Well, thank so, you. I ask all my guests this question as a part of the series. Why are you in on health equity? I mean, you shared a really moving story at the beginning about a book you read um, and about, you know, and about that individual dying of AIDS. And, you know, can you just share with me why you're in on health equity and any personal experience or moments that kind of really define why this is important to you? It is you know, it's that, it's that story. It's that idea that every person should have the opportunity to live life to their fullest potential. And that's every person. And that's this idea that I grew up with. It's the inherent worth and dignity of every person. And that's the idea of America. Like we should all have the opportunity to make the most of our lives. And health is such an important part of that. We have to meet people where they are at every stage. Thanks so much to Sarah Dash, President and CEO of Alliance for Health Policy, for uh, sharing all of her wisdom and insights and and also uh, your heart and your personal stories here. We really appreciate it. 
Oh, thank you, KP. It's been an absolute joy to be with you today. And thank you for all of the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for the In On Health podcast. For more information on this guest and other episodes, please go to www.inonhealth.com slash podcast. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at In On Health. Until next time, this is your host, KP, signing off.